So today we have Monday, it's the 20th of February 2017. In today's Dhamma talk, I will talk about how we can be anchored and independent through metta. And in the second part, I will explore the common ground of metta and sila, of loving kindness and virtue. To begin with, a quote from the Buddha. He said, better than offering 100 pots of rice three times a day is the practice of metta for one moment. And we have to understand that at the time of the Buddha, a person who was able to offer 100 pots of rice three times a day, this was a very, very rich person, a millionaire. But, and so this was considered to be a really huge dana, a mahadana. But the Buddha said, so even better than this is if you can have just one moment of metta. So this shows the importance and far-reaching effects of metta, loving-kindness. And I find it interesting of how the Buddha defined one moment. And with his definition or several definitions of how long one moment is, the Buddha shows how much down-to-earth he also was, using examples that the common people could easily understand. So, one moment is the time it takes to snap one's finger. Or, one moment is the time it takes to blink the eyes. Or, I like this uh, illustration, one moment is the time it takes to pull the cow's udder when you milk a cow. <clears throat> so, as you are all aware, it's going towards the end of this second Metta retreat. And as this retreat comes to an end, very naturally questions arise in connection with the practice at home. So, for example, questions like, how can I continue the practice when I go home? Or, how can I integrate the metta in my day-to-day -day life? Or, what should I be careful about? So, in this, in this talk, I will offer some basic reflections that help integrate the metta practice 
into our day-to-day life or into our out-of-retreat life. So in the first part of this talk, I will talk about two aspects of metta, and then in the second part of this talk, I will explore the common ground of metta and sila, of loving-kindness and virtue. So, the first part in regard to the two aspects, two aspects of metta. The question is like, how can we be anchored in ourselves? Or how can we firmly stand on the ground? Or how is it possible not to be shaken by facing problems or challenges? And then regarding the second aspect, there is the question, how can we become independent of what others think of us or say about us? So in regard to the first few questions, how can we be anchored in ourselves? How can we firmly stand on the ground? How is it possible not to be shaken by external events, problems, or challenges? And the basic answer is with acceptance. The acceptance of things as they are. And this includes to accept all the different parts of us, the good ones, the bad ones, the beautiful and the ugly ones, the light and the heavy parts in us, the pleasant and the unpleasant parts in us. And the acceptance of things as they are comes with an understanding of impermanence, the the fact that things change, so the understanding of anicca, and also with the understanding of karma and its effects, or uh, the basic law of cause and effect. So karma is more specific, the law of cause and effect, as it relates to our actions, actions of body, speech, and mind. So it would be very good to have a basic understanding of impermanence and karma, either through the practice of vipassana meditation or through studying the Buddha's teaching. 
So in regard to this acceptance of things as they are, and especially acceptance of ourselves as we are, for example, can we accept and be kind to ourselves even if we are not as patient as we think we should be? Or can we accept and be kind to ourselves even if we got angry towards the neighbor this morning? Or can we accept and be kind to ourselves even if we are not intelligent as our brother? Or can we accept and be kind to ourselves even if we can only afford a Volkswagen and not a BMW like our neighbor? Many people, many meditators, have the idea that first they have to be perfect, whatever perfect means to them, so that first they have to be perfect before they can accept themselves, before they can be kind to themselves. So this wish to be perfect or to be better, or to be different, drives people through their lives, time and again. People always want to be somewhere else than they are right now. People want to be the perfect mother, or the better teacher, or the impeccable boss. They want to be the successful student, or the perfect, you name it. And this, of course, creates stress and dissatisfaction. It creates worry, and one is driven by one's expectations. And so in this life, we do not really live our life but we are often driven through our life. All too often, we become slaves of our desires or our unrealistic expectations. And so in this state, we are never good enough. In this state, we are always lacking something and we are always looking for something out there. And so, if we always reach outside for acceptance, or if we reach always outside, out, outside for the love we so dearly want, then we are bound to have problems. So what we can, what we need to do, is to accept ourselves the way we are, to be kind to ourselves, to be friendly with ourselves. 
So if we can be kind, friendly, and loving with ourselves, <clears throat> then we do not constantly need to look for this kindness or for the love or for the acceptance out there. This acceptance, the kindness, the friendliness we have for ourselves makes us feel at ease. Then we are happy. Then we are at peace with ourselves. And this feels like dropping a huge and heavy burden. The practice of metta meditation aims exactly at this point to develop this quality of kindness, of friendliness, of unconditional love. And as you know, we do this practice to develop these qualities in ourselves, in our heart and mind. And as you also know, this practice is done based on the deep understanding that deep within us, deep within our heart and mind, there is simply this wish to live happily, peacefully, to be free from problems and suffering. And then based on this understanding, we also understand that on this basic level, other people, other living beings are not different from us. They too want to be happy, healthy and peaceful. They too want to be free from any kind of suffering. And so in this way, we should, we should see other living beings not in regard of the difference between me and them, but we should regard them based on what is common between us. As I mentioned in one talk, to see our shared humanity. And this is why we start the practice of metta meditation with the cultivation of loving kindness for ourselves. Renate Seifert is a German meditation teacher and she's also a very good friend of mine. And in her book called Buddha at Home, she says, we begin the practice, the practice of metta meditation with ourselves because if we are able to treat ourselves with more benevolence and consideration, then the chances are getting bigger that we will be able to do it as well 
with other fellow human beings. To love oneself is the base to love others. Of course, when she, when she speaks of love, that's the meta-love. Then, a second aspect of meta So we can ask ourselves, how can we become independent of others, independent of what others think of us, independent of what others say about us? We are probably aware that we are more dependent on others that we actually wish to be. And even if we are aware of this dependency, and even if we wish to weaken this or cut it off, it's not easy to do. Who does not like to be praised or get approval from others? I think we all do. To get praise and get approval from others makes us feel good. It makes us feel being a somebody. If we could get this sense of being a somebody from ourselves, then we would not need to get it from others. So then we would be independent of what others think of us or say about us. So that means we do not need to reach out, no need to reach out to others, but it means that we are self-contained. I want to read you a little passage from Godwin Samaratne, a meditation teacher from Sri Lanka. He has passed away some years ago. Some of you may have already heard this quote, but it's such a lovely one. It doesn't hurt to hear it again. He said, Meditation of loving-kindness is so important in the sense that you learn to be your own best friend. And if you can really make that connection with yourself and actually feel it, then I think your dependency on what others think of you becomes less. Because whatever you need from others you get it from yourself. You will become self-contained within yourself. Such a nice way to put it, to become your own best friend.
the transformation that happens for the practice of metta, of metta meditation, is quite amazing. And in the many years that I have been teaching metta meditation, I have heard from quite a big number of meditators quite amazing and quite and very heartening reports about their transformation as well as the transformation of others. For example, two years ago uh, during the Metta retreat here, one meditator said, when I radiate Metta for myself, I feel like I have fallen in love with myself. So indeed, we all should fall in love with ourselves, just in case it has not yet happened. (laughs) And of course, the love I mean, the love that yogi meant, is the kind of unconditional metta-love, that kind of love which is free from attachment, which is free from entanglement. Or during a retreat uh, in Australia, an Australian meditator said that her impatient and short-tempered husband gradually became more patient and more loving through her meta-practice. She, that meditator, did not tell her husband that she was practicing metta, practicing metta for herself and practicing metta for her husband. But she noticed that not only she was transformed through this meta-practice, but also that it had a transformative effect on her husband. And in a retreat in Germany some years back, a German meditator related the following experience. She was an old yogi, an experienced meditator. She had been practicing vipassana and metta meditation for many, many years. And she told me, I was a teacher at a high school in Stuttgart, in Germany. And quite often the students arrived in the morning already doped and drunk, and often they were also late. This bunch of students were quite difficult. But then one day I started to cultivate metta for myself on the way to school. I always walked to school, which took about half an hour. In this way, I practiced metta meditation for myself 
for half an hour every day. And then about six months later, as she was having a discussion with her students, then the students or one of the students said, you know, somehow you have changed. And the teacher wanted to know, well, how, in what way? And the student said, you have become calmer. And the teacher then said that really, yes, she experienced the students no longer as difficult as she had perceived them six months ago. So when we really fall in love with ourselves, of course, meta-love, then we can abide in kindness and friendliness with ourselves. Then we fully accept ourselves the way we are. And then we are fully at ease the way it is, the way we are. And in this way, we can be at peace, at peace with ourselves, at peace with the difficult students, and at peace with the world. So in this state of unconditional metta, we will become self-contained then there is no need to go and look for the love or the praise or the approval somewhere else, out there. Then we do not need to get some kind of fake love from others. What I call fake love is love which is contaminated with desire or lust, or attachment. In the last few days, during the interviews, some of you have reported that you really started to feel a sense of ease and contentment the way you have never experienced before. Or some of you have said that now you have finally succeeded to really um, feel this unconditional love or metta for yourself. And so in this way you have become your own best friend. Or at least you can be on good terms with yourself. Isn't it a nice experience when the heart is filled with kindness and with friendliness for yourself? What better could you wish for yourself? In the course of this Metta retreat, 
I have mentioned several encounters I had with meta persons, people, persons full of metta. And I've said how, how nice it is to stay in, a, in the presence of a person who is just this manifestation of boundless uh, metta. How now nice it is to be in the presence of a person who exudes this, per, this perfume of kindness or just to be based in this um, kindness and friendliness. How it feels so nice, so much at ease and in peace. You know, like when I was in the presence of Venerable Mahagosananda, when he came to the forest center in Mobi and when I had to translate for him. <clears throat> I want to re- relate another story which illustrates the power of metta and how it deeply affects other people or how it can melt other people's heart. It's the story of Venerable Lokanata. He was an Italian Buddhist monk and in the 1940s he walked from Europe to India. And as he was walking through Turkey, he was somewhere in the countryside and all of a sudden there appeared this group of men. They were bandits. They surrounded him and they said that he should give him give them his money. But Venerable Lokanata said that he had no money. But of course the bandits didn't believe him and said, come on, give us your money. And again, Venerable Lokanata assured them that he had no money. And then the bandits told him that they would go and kill him if he would not give them his money. And the monk said, well, if you're going to kill me, that's okay. But because I'm a religious person, please give me 10 minutes so I can say my final prayers. And the bandits said, okay, um, say your uh, final prayers. They surrounded him, he sat down on the ground, and what Venerable Lokanata did was he started to cultivate metta for these men, for these bandits. And after the 10 minutes, Venerable Lokanata stood up, said he had finished his prayers and that they could do with him what they wanted. But 
the force of his metta was so powerful, so strong, that while he was cultivating metta for his potential murderers, the men started to soften, the hearts started to melt. And so then when Venerable Lokanata said, now you can do with me what you want, they said, oh well, um, we are not going to kill you. You are a religious person. Please continue with your journey. And so he did. So this story also illustrates that when there is metta, pure metta, there is no fear. Because fear is an aspect of dosa. And as you know, metta is the opposite of dosa. So with pure, genuine metta, all forms of dosa are absent, including fear. And this absence of fear is also obvious in the story of Tuchom Rinpoche, a monk in the Tibetan Buddhist tradition. At one time, he was in New York. And one day, he was walking down the street when a man came towards him and he threatened him with a gun. But Dujam Rinpoche just looked this man into his eyes, smiled at him, and bowed to him. And this man was so confused, he simply dropped the gun and ran away. So to the degree that our metta, our loving-kindness, becomes strong and powerful and pervasive, to this degree the fire of dosa becomes weaker and less burning. So the power of metta is able to weaken and even destroy the power of dosa. And this is how Bhikkhu Silachara has put it. Whoever practices metta becomes also a destroyer, a destroyer of the ugliest, the most unbeautiful thing there is in the world, namely hatred, enmity, and ill will. And this is in line with what the Buddha had said in connection to dosa. We know the Buddha had always encouraged people not to kill other beings, not to harm other living beings. 
But when the Buddha was asked whose killing he approved, the Buddha answered that he approved the killing of anger, of dosa. Now we come to the second part of this talk. And now I want to talk about the common ground of metta and sila, the common ground of loving kindness and virtue. The teachings of the Buddha can be summarized with this verse from the Dhammapada. To do good, to avoid evil, to purify one's heart and mind. This is the teaching of all the Buddhas. So this sounds quite simple, but it's not so easy to put it into practice. And questions arise. What is meant by to do good? What is considered to be evil? How can I purify my heart and mind? Or what is purification? <clears throat> As we know, the Buddha taught many different practices or approaches with which we can put into practice this simple advice. Some of the practices or the approaches the Buddha taught were um, to be virtuous, to follow the precepts, or to cultivate the four Brahma-viharas, as you know, Metta, Karuna, Mudita, and Upeka, or to practice generosity, to practice dana, or to cultivate the paramis, the perfections, qualities like truthfulness, or patience, or effort, or renunciation, or Buddha taught the practice of samatha meditation or the practice of vipassana meditation. So among the many approaches taught by the Buddha, I will pick two of them and show how they overlap and complement each other and how they manifest as the same result on a practical level. And so these two approaches are sila and metta, virtue or ethical conduct and loving kindness. And most of the time these two approaches of how to practice are dealt separately. However, the practical uh, aim is not really different 
they both aim at benevolence, at friendliness, and respect for other people, for other living beings. Sila is the Pali word for virtue, or ethical conduct, or morality. And it refers to the actions of body and speech, as these actions relate to other people, to other living beings. The Buddha had defined virtuous conduct, sila, like this. Wholesome bodily actions, wholesome verbal actions, and purification of livelihood. So virtuous actions, virtuous conduct, is behavior that does not hurt or harm anybody, that is not harmful neither to others nor to ourselves. And this virtuous conduct is actually based on common sense. Namely, in the same way as I do not want to be hurt, I should not hurt other living beings. Or, in the same way I do not want to be offended, I should not offend others. Or in the same way as I want to be told the truth, I should tell the truth to others. Or in the same way as I do not want to be sexually abused, I should not sexually abuse others. So in short, we should treat other people, other living beings, in the same way we want to be treated by others, namely <coughs> namely <coughs> respectful, honest, friendly, patient, and accepting. Because many people live under the strong influence of greed and aversion, their actions are fueled by these harmful and unskillful states of mind. And we know the result is devastating. Women are raped, ethnic minorities are cleansed, Animals are killed, banks are robbed, drunken drivers cause fatal accidents, and so on. <clears throat> In all religious or spiritual traditions, we find guidelines of what constitutes a decent human behavior. For, in, 
For example, in Christianity, we have the Ten Commandments. Or the Buddha proposed the five ethical guidelines for a decent and virtuous behavior. And by following these five guidelines or precepts, our actions of body and speech do not hurt and harm others and ourselves. Sila, or virtue, is actually the basis and the result of our practice. Initially, we follow these precepts because we recognize that they are a skillful frame for the purification of our heart and mind. But later on in our practice, we no longer need this outer frame. Based on our personal and direct understanding in our practice, we have come to the place where we simply no longer want to engage in any harmful actions of body and speech. Lama Anagarika Govinda was a German Buddhist. He had also been a student of Venerable Jnana Tiloka in Sri Lanka. And he put it this way, he said, for a Buddhist, virtue is the practical expression of his level of understanding. Virtue is not the cause, but the effect of our attitude. Sila, or virtue, is an integral part of the whole practice. And this is reflected in the fact that sila, virtue, is part of the Noble Eightfold Path. Three of these eight path factors belong to the group of sila. You know, right action, right speech, and right livelihood. The Buddha clearly recognized that liberation is not possible without virtuous conduct. And this is why he integrated this aspect, this very important aspect, into the path. And so with this, we should understand that the practice not only consists of intensive meditation retreats or of years of seclusion in a cave, we should understand that we need to integrate all aspects of our life into our practice. So, as I said, sila, or virtue, is our behavior as we relate to other people and to other living beings. 
So sila is a relational practice. And being virtuous, we do not want to hurt or harm others. Being virtuous, we want to help and assist others. As you also know, metta, the practice of loving-kindness, also happens on a relational level. It deals with people, with living beings. And as we wish uh, others to be happy and well, our behavior then is one of not harming them, of not hurting them. Metta is manifested on three levels. It's manifested on the heart and mind level, manokama metta. It's manifested in the body or as physical actions, kayakama metta. And it's manifested as speech, vajikama metta. So when we practice metta meditation, as we do here, we, co- we cultivate this quality of benevolence and friendliness on the mental level. And this is very important because all the physical actions, all the verbal actions have their origin in the mind. But just to cultivate metta on this mental level is not enough. Metta can and must also be manifested as actions of body and speech. And then we call it metta as a physical action, metta as verbal action, or metta manifested in body metta manifested in speech and you know this is one of the chants we chant most of the nights metta in deed speech and thought so with these reflections on sila and metta it has become obvious that both approaches aim at the respectful and non-harming behavior. The approaches of metta and sila are different, but on the practical level, the result is the same. So the sila approach We should not hurt or harm others because we do not want that others harm or hurt us. And the meta approach is we want to be happy and we understand that others want to be happy as well. And this means When we wish them to be happy, we do not 
hurt them. So the sila approach is about non-harming, not harming other living beings. And this is evident in the way the precepts are formulated. Like the first one, Panadipata Viramanesi Kapadang Samadhyami can be translated as I undertake the precept to refrain from killing living beings. So, with this formulation, explicitly it is stated what I should not do to refrain from killing or harming. But implicitly it means that I train myself to protect other beings, that I protect them from being killed or harmed. And so this implicit aspect is nothing other than an expression of metta, an expression of benevolence and kindness for all beings, the wish that they can live happily, the wish that they do not lose their wealth or good health. Then the metta approach, this is based on the heart's quality of loving-kindness and friendliness, benevolence. And when this quality of benevolence and friendliness is firmly anchored in our heart and mind, we naturally refrain from all sorts of actions that would cause harm or suffering. So with metta, it is the explicit wish that all living beings be happy and well. And as a result, on the implicit level, we do not anything that could harm them. We do not anything that would cause suffering. So our behavior is such that um, we do not harm them. So in this way, we see that sila is also an expression of metta. And we see that metta is also an expression of sila. So whether you lay stress on sila, virtue, or whether you lay stress on metta, loving-kindness, the other practice is always included as well. To end this talk, I will quote Bhante Bodhidhamma. He is an English monk and he has a little meditation center in England. He simply said, and he uses the word love, but of course in the meaning of metta, metta love, 
So he said, Love is wisdom that manifests in relationships. Love is wisdom that manifests in relationships. So may we all embody and manifest the qualities of kindness, friendliness, and respect in all of our actions of body, speech, and mind. May the practices of sila and metta become our default setting when dealing with other people, when dealing with other living beings. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Thank you for your kind attention. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.